Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Driving on that man's wet on the wheel. It's talking in circles. There's a voice in my head that drives my heel. With your host. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Talking Circles. I'm Clayton Caldwell with John Harlow there. As we bring you this week's episode of Talking in Circles, we are 32 days away from the Daytona 500. And silly season news, and the silly season, what a proper name for it. Uh, an interesting quote I like to go back to. Rules are like traffic lights of real life. If you don't have a set of rules by which everyone abides, you have chaos. And when you have chaos, everyone loses. That comes from Tom Coughlin, the former head coach of the New York Giants, current uh, director of player management of the Jacksonville Jaguars. And let me tell you something. That is the ultimate truth. You want to have rules. And this ties into the charter situation NASCAR has. When this was implemented a couple of years ago, these charter situations, it was you can only sell it or lease it. And it seemed like the games that went on, the games that went on with the top 35 rule, the games that went on with flopping numbers for points like we see in Xfinity and like we see in the truck series, that was going to end. But here we are, a partnership announced between the Wood Brothers and Archie St. Hilaire of Go Fast Racing, allowing the charter that the Wood Brothers, were, Wood Brothers used last year on a lease from Go Fast Racing, they're able to use that same charter again in 2018. It doesn't make sense. That's not what the rules were intended to do. Now we're breaking and recreating rules for what reason? Is it maybe because these charters, like we've been saying all off-season, John, these charters have absolutely no value, or virtually no value, I should say. And maybe NASCAR knew that. And by tying with, with a partnership, it gives these charters value. What are your thoughts on this, John? I, I just I cannot believe – I thought the games were going to – and listen – there's more announced with it. Circle Sport and Go Fast Racing have announced a partnership where they're going to use uh, Go Fast Racing is going to use Circle Sports charter from last year, and I'm sure there's more coming up. Uh, Sarcom Racing here is getting a charter from Richard Childress Racing. Why sell or lease a charter when you can have a partnership and you can hang on to your charter and just run together? Uh, it's completely ridiculous, John. What are your thoughts? Uh, in reality, I always thought the uh, Circle Sport charter was sort of um, a Richard Childers fourth car. Cause I mean, if you remember, um, that's where Ty Dillon ran a good bit. So, I mean, I think the charter system's a joke. I've said it all along. I said it for the last year plus 
you, me, Lee, and Virginia could pull together what's in our wallets. I have six bucks. You guys might have a little bit more, but I'm married, and my wife doesn't give me any money. You're newly married, so you might still be able to hide some before she figures out where everything is. And Lee in Virginia probably has a few bucks that he can hide away. But I think you, me, Lee in Virginia could buy a charter. If we had a car, we could go racing. That's what I think these charter systems is. I mean, the first year when they were figuring it out and you had cars from big teams that needed charters. So you had the 41, you had um, the 19 for Joe Gibbs. So you've got two cars from top-notch teams that needed a charter. They were worth a couple million bucks back then. Now, nobody needs a charter. There's charters floating around that there aren't cars for. We're getting back to the old start and park days where we're going to put junk out on the track and it's just going to clog up the field. If NASCAR can't get 40 good cars on the court, on the track, why bother? Indianapolis does, if you think about IndyCar, they do 33 for the 500. It used to be the coolest day to be at Indy for the track was bump day. There ain't no bump day no more. They fight 30 cars. Pulls one out of the garage every year and somehow makes the 500. They run 24 during the regular season. I don't know if 40 cars, what good does it do? I'd rather have a great show with 24, or I'd rather have a great show with 32 than have a crap show with 40. All right, listen, and again, the thing I have a problem with is you had a set of rules and you just broke them. Why were these rules in place in the first place? You know, if if this partnership, whatever this is called, you know, I feel bad for a guy like Tommy Baldwin. I was talking to Lee in Virginia today. He said, boy, Tommy Baldwin must feel like an idiot. Jack Roush was so stupid because they both sold their charters, Roush having a 16 charter, and Roush only did it earlier this offseason. They both sold their charters where they could have just partnered with their team. They could have said, you know what? We're going to do a partnership, and everything's going to be good. You can own part of the charter. I can own part of the charter. And sure, there's going to come a day where Go Fast Racing and the Wood Brothers are going to part ways. Maybe our charter falls into the Wood Brothers' lap, and Go Fast Racing has a, you know, keeps that charter. But here's what's in it for Go Fast Racing, and this is what people are forgetting. Since the Wood Brothers are using that charter, the performance clause in that charter, now each charter has a performance clause tied to it. How they perform in the three in three consecutive years is how they're ranked and how they're paid out. For example, if John Harlow has a charter and he finishes first in earn points, his charter is more more valuable monetary wise than mine if I finish second, and so on and so forth. So the Wood Brothers, which took the 32 charter last year, that charter would be the least valuable charter 
monetary-wise, in racing, in NASCAR, if the Wood Brothers didn't take it and finish where they finished last year at owner points, it's now about the sixth worst charter. So it improved its six positions. What is another year with the Wood Brothers going to do to that charter? It's going to make R.T. St. Hilaire that much more money. And that's what pays off for him. Sure, he's taking a little bit of a hit this year because he's siding with a charter that's not in great shape with, the, with Circle Sport Racing. But they're planning on running a two-car operation next year. Uh, Archie St. Hilaire said that in an interview with Dave Moody when, he, when it was first announced that Gates was going to Xfinity. And you saw it again with Circle Sport today when Joe Falk, who, by the way, you can argue, and I don't know if this is 100% fact, but this is what I think. Joe Falk has not fielded a race car in two years. And he'll be going into his third year without technically fielding a race car. Last year, he was tied in with the Motorsports Group. And the year before that, he was tied in with Levine Family Racing. Both, at least Levine Family Racing, an established team that makes their own chassis. Joe Falk didn't do anything there. He was a money guy. You can argue the same. I find it hard to believe he would go out and buy chassis to help with Circle Sport Racing last or excuse me, with help with the Motorsports Group last year if he didn't have to. So now we've got a guy entering his third year in NASCAR without fielding a race car, but he gets to keep his charter. Where is NASCAR on this, John? Put your foot down and say no. You can't do this. We saw this with the top 35. I, I went back through the top 35 rule. A bunch of years ago, five years ago, Mark Martin's 55 team got points from Frank Stoddard's number 32 team. I remember reading that and being out, outraged, saying that is in, an embarrassment NASCAR allowed that, that to happen. And it's still happening. And this charter situation was supposed to stop this. And that's what I have a problem with, John. It's, it's just absolute insanity. Well, the charter system, I don't know if it was supposed to stop the idea of um, swapping points, swap, swapping car numbers and all that stuff. I think the charter system was originally put together so the owners had something that was worthwhile if they decided to get out of the game. Ran his own team for a long, long time. And whenever the Tide sponsorship started drying up and Ricky Rudd couldn't do it anymore, he sold millions of dollars of equipment and blood and tears that went into that shop, and he sold it for pennies on the dollar. You saw the charters when they first came in. Stuart Haas, uh, Joe Gibbs both paid a couple million dollars for the charters. And now, two years into this, you, me, Lee, and Virginia can afford one. And that's how it is whenever it comes to this. Yeah. And and listen, I get that. And I don't think the charter situation, let me make myself clear, I don't think the charter situation is all that bad. Um, I think if, if we can keep the charter, uh, the owners in this sport and the charters give them something back, like you said, gives them something to sell, okay, I can live with that as a race fan. You know, 
I love the excitement of Speed Weeks, too. I love the fact that we're going to have 42 cars down in Daytona and two cars are going to go home because it makes the duels that much more interesting. I loved all that. And I would like, I like, like you said, uh, pole day at the Indianapolis 500 used to be the most interesting day there uh, because, or bump day, excuse me, because you could bump people out of the Indianapolis 500. That's not the case there in Indiana anymore. That's not the case in NASCAR anymore. Uh, it's just gotten too pricey. There's only so many people who can afford to do this. And I understand that. And I'm not saying that. I don't think we'll ever get back to a point where, you know, we could feel the race, uh, the average Joe could feel the race car again. Um, I don't think we'll ever get back to that point. And that's unfortunate, but there's a lot of stuff that goes into why that's no longer the case. But it's the it's just the point of it all, where you have you've opened up Pandora's box, you've opened up a huge can of worms. For example, this week and and Starcom Racing just uh, put something on their Facebook page. Look forward to our announcement later in the week, whether it's tomorrow, I think it's going to be tomorrow or Friday. They're going to announce something, and I have a feeling it's going to be, and I'm pretty sure about this, it's going to be in association with Richard Childress Racing a partnership, quote-unquote, with Richard Childress Racing, whatever that means, partnership, to use that 27 charter next season. Um, and, and that's the thing. These teams no longer have to purchase. They can just partner. And when will it end? You know, right now, <clears throat> Archie St. Hilaire has technically ownership in three race teams. He's got ownership with the Wood Brothers, if you want to put the partnership there. And he's got ownership with his own team that go fast racing. And he's got ownership with now Circle Sport Racing. So, But they only field two race cars. Figure that one out. Um, two and a half, if you want to put Joey Gase's part-time deal in the Cup Series in there. And when will this end? Well, Chip Ganassi wants a third charter. He can easily partner with somebody. And that just shows you, John, these owners are in control of everything. I've been saying this for a while, and I heard somebody on the radio the other day say that this RTA is not a union. Come on. If it looks like a duck and, and walks like a duck and talks like a duck, it's a duck. It's pretty much a union, and it has a lot of power. And I've said this to people before. The owners are the, mo- are the most powerful powerful thing in this sport. And people are like, oh, that's not true. The drivers are now. No, it's the owners. Dude, let me ask you something, John. Would you watch Brad Kislowski and Kyle Busch race if they were at Mark Mike Harmon Motorsports and at BJ McLeod Racing? Would that be entertaining to you? I think it actually might be. <laughs> uh, part of it is Kyle Busch in anything would be interesting. You could put Kyle Busch on a big wheel going against everybody in stock cars, and Kyle Busch would probably find a way to get toward the front. But I understand your point. I mean, you don't want him in crap equipment. Um, the way I look at it, and I think the RTA uh, pulled one over, and I think NASCAR just said, okay, you do what you want. We'll play along. Uh, I think the RTA pulled one over where they made – the charters valued on points or where you finish over the three years and all that good stuff. I look at it. Every other sport that you look at 
is owned by the owners. Basketball, baseball, hockey, football, the owners own the sport. And the commissioner, which would be the same thing as Brian France, works for the owners. So, yeah, the owners do have control. But the owners also split everything equally. Here you got somebody in the France family, even though they're giving up a lot of the juice to the owners, they're still making a crap load of money for doing nothing. And the owners are trying to get what they can out of it. And if you're Rick Hendrick and if you're Joe Gibbs and you're Roger Penske and you're Tony Stewart and Gene Haas and you're Chip Ganassi, you want to make sure you get your piece of the pie. And the people are coming to see those cars not the Archie St. Hilaire's. They're not coming to see BK Racing. As much as, other than Clayton, they're not coming to see Front Row Motorsports. Um, They're coming to see the big guys. They're coming to see the power teams who lead most of the races. And we get the one feel-good story a year here and there, but they want to see the Kyle Bushes. They want to see the Martin Truex Juniors. They want to see the... Kevin Harvick's. They want to see the Keselowski's. They want to see those guys win, the Kyle Larson's. That's what the sport's based on. And if you're a good driver, you're going to end up hooking up with a really good team. The one where I'd love to see it again, and NASCAR, I've loved it my whole life. I've watched it since I was a little kid. But you look at last Saturday at the Tulsa Expo Center, 300-some midgets on a two-tenths of a mile track fighting to be the 24 cars in the A-Main. That, my friend, is what racing is about, not about what the crap show we're starting to see every Sunday. Oh, I agree. I think the, when you have a lot of cars trying to make an event, it, it, it makes that event stand out, absolutely. Let me ask you this. If Roger Penske, and let's say these guys in the RTA said, you know what, you know what? We're fed up. We're tired of spending our money and not seeing a whole lot in return. We're tired of it. And if you don't get us what we want, we're going to strike. What if Chip Ganassi, take out Chip Ganassi, what if Rick Hendrick, Richard Childress, Jack Roush, and Joe Gibbs said, we're not going to field their race car next weekend. What would that do to the sport? Just think about it, because Hendrick Motorsports has how many engines? How many? How many teams do they make chassis for? Joe Gibbs racing the same thing. Roush Yates the same thing. We're not going to field. It would put this sport in a tailspin. What not? You know, not only would Chase Elliott be out of a ride and Denny Hammond be out. It, there wouldn't be enough owners to go around. We'd be going, oh, my gosh, what, what's going to happen? That is the power of the owners right there. That's all you need to know. That's how powerful these guys are. And I'm not saying they're thinking about doing that. But that even the littlest threat gives them a lot of power. And that is why I think they're sort of getting what they want here. And I know they've spent a lot of money, a lot of their hard-earned money, into this deal and not seeing a lot of return on investment. But at the end of the day, NASCAR used to rule with an iron fist, and I miss that. As much as we used to kill uh, them for changing the rules all the time, 
they used to rule the night. When Bill France Jr. was in was in this, it was his playing field, and you played by his rules. That's not the case anymore. And we're starting to see some things here now that don't make a lot of sense. And uh, it makes a lot of sense on a business standpoint for the owners, but I think it hurts the competition on the racetrack. Well, let's look back whenever the first race at Talladega. That's how Richard Childress got into NASCAR. Because Richard Petty and all those guys decided it was too fast, it wasn't safe enough. They decided we're not running the race. So Bill France, who built that beautiful racetrack in Talladega, Alabama, basically said, if you've got four wheels on it, I'll pay for you to bring the car down here. We're going to put a field out there, and we're going to race. And Richard Childress has been in NASCAR ever since. That couldn't happen today because there aren't guys who can bring their cars down because there's so much engineering, so much crap that goes into putting these four, these 40 cars on the track that it just couldn't happen. You look back at the day whenever um, they, Roger Penske, one of the reasons he was sort of skeptical of the RTA to begin with, if you remember, USAC used to run IndyCar. And the owners got tired of USAC and the way they did everything. So they created CART. And then Tony George created the IRL. And then there was a split. And you look how much has gone in the tank over the last 20 years because of the split between USAC, IRL. I mean, USAC, CART, and then the IRL comes up and they split everybody up again. And finally, they all get back together as IndyCar. But it's so far down the map that drag racing gets more people watching it than IndyCar. Um, I bet you you'd get more people watching the Chili Bowl if they put it on real TV than they'd watch IndyCar. I mean, it's one of those things where sometimes you don't bite the hand that feeds you because you think you know how to do it better. It's one of those things like if you get somebody who, somebody who loves to eat. I love to eat. I'm the last person you want running a restaurant. I love racing. I'm the last guy who needs to be running a race, a racing organization. Because if I, if I uh, lead by my heart, Stuart Haas Racing will be your champion every year, just float around between them. But no, it's not that way. You want to put the best cars on the track. The problem is NASCAR has changed the way they did business because Brian France isn't his dad, isn't his grandfather. He doesn't really give a rat's ass about what goes on. He just wants to collect money. There's no way that Ford would go into this year without a body change in the last three, and Chevy and Toyota have made totally drastic changes to their cars each of the last two years. There's no way that Ford would not be able to go to Big Bill France and say, hey, we ain't got what we need. They need to take some spoiler off, or they need to have some ride height or something, and there'd be a technical bulletin within a day. That don't happen anymore. Ford is going to have a tough year this year because NASCAR don't give a crap. Well, And, and the thing is, and Ford, and, and you bring up a good point about making those changes, and I heard a lot of owners, and I read in a book of, uh, I grew up a Bill Elliott fan, and I read in Bill Elliott's book that when he was an owner driver, he hated the fact 
when NASCAR would change the rules in the middle of the season, and they changed it a lot. You know, whether or not Ford got a big advantage, had a big advantage this week, and the Chevrolets complained, what, whatever it was. But you know who benefited the most from that? The race fan. I was going to say you and owners, me. Yeah, it wasn't the owners. It wasn't the drivers. It was the race fans. And they sat there and said, we're trying to put the best show possible out there. I understand it's a business to these guys, but at the end of the day, you have, you're in an entertainment business, and you have to keep that in mind. Um, and I think we're getting away from that. And, again, it's just all this business stuff takes away from the entertainment, and that's where you get a little concerned. And, um, you know, to put a bow on this, John, I, I just think NASCAR should – when you put rules into something, stick with it. Or come out and make an announcement and say, listen, we screwed up, or we're going to make a modification. You know, what we said about the lease program, we're going to allow that to happen where you can lease a, a charter twice in five years instead of once in five years, or whatever the case may be. This partnership, you're never going to see a charter leased or sold again. It's just going to be partnerships. And that is, to me... You're opening up, and, and I can't wait to see what, what this is going to happen three, four years down the road when we're still in this charter situation and these partnerships get absolutely mind-boggling. I can't wait to see that, and this is the beginning of it, and it's because you allowed this to happen. I'm happy for the Wood Brothers. I really am. I'm glad they're in every race. I think they kind of got the, the raw deal of not getting a charter in the first place, but they should buy one or they should lease one just like anybody else would have to if they got if they got into one. Um, and Archie probably would have sold to them, but with this performance clause that's in there, he wants to hang on to it and gain that value and gain that extra money because of where that charter is going to be after next season when the Wood Brothers push it high in under points. Final I think one of the things the situation. one of the things that Archie's looking at is he is trying to grow his team with go fast racing. And I got to give him credit for that. He hasn't um, just sat back there and said, I'm going to take the 39th place finish and go home and collect whatever I get. He's trying to build his team up. And if you look at the difference between what the Wood brothers brought in with that charter last year and what the 32 team brought in with the charter they had, that's money that Archie St. Pierre is putting into the program or Archie St. Hilaire. So he's trying to grow his program. It's make, I mean, financially, it makes great sense for him. On a business standpoint, it makes great sense. For trying to fund his team that he's actually running, balls on. But yeah. the way NASCAR wrote the rules, and NASCAR writes rules in pencil because, I mean, my golf scorecard is about as accurate as the NASCAR rulebook. If I got a four and nobody's looking, hey, that's a three on my scorecard. Because, I mean, hey, nobody's looking. What are they going to know? And that's the way the NASCAR rulebook is. Everything's in pencil because they're afraid to uh, enforce things too much. And I think it sucks. And I'm not trying to blame the owners here. I don't want to get that confused. I think the owners are, are fine to do what they do. I mean, they're, they're smart businessmen. They are... If they do it within the rules and NASCAR allows you to do it, why not? Why not do it? I would do it too if I made more money at the end, if I think I'm going to benefit from it. Why not? 
that's why I blame NASCAR. You know, to me, if you don't want this stuff to go on, rule with an iron fist. Say, no, we're not going to allow it. Because you have to, NASCAR approves everything, every purchase, every little movement of those charters, they approve at the end of the day. And that is crazy to think about that they would allow this to happen. But again, there's got to be a reason behind it, and nobody's saying anything of why they've allowed this to happen. There's got to be a reason, and I just think it's because they looked at it and they said, we don't want these charters to go to, you know, lesser race teams or, um, you know, the charter value to go to go extremely down. We want to keep these charters up and give them to better rate. Who knows what at the end of the day. There was definitely a, a method behind the madness. They don't just sit there and go, okay, you know, somebody had to, to – informed them that they wanted to do this and there was a reason behind it. So, um, you know, and at the end of the day, I hope it doesn't hurt, affect uh, the, the product on the racetrack because that's ultimately what we're looking for. But, you know, I just think it, it when you go to a racetrack and you go to a race and somebody asks you, well, how's that? And they're qualifying. Why is, is that guy in the race when they point at Paul Menard this year in that 21 car? And I say, well, Paul Menard is in the race because the owner of the 32 team has a has this thing called a charter, and he, you're not allowed to to sell it. You're not allowed to lease it more than every five years, or you have to sell it. <clears throat> but they created a partnership with the 21 team, and through that partnership with the 21 team, the 21 is using that charter that they used last year that they're not allowed to lease anymore, and they're. They're gonna. That's why they're in the race. The kids gonna go. What? That to me is the biggest joke of it all. And one thing eight, is, nine, eight, as two, you eight, go zero. with that, Clayton. As you go with that, the one thing I was thinking about while you were um, talking about the way that movement is, other than Daytona, it doesn't matter. They didn't feel a full forty car field. Half of the races. There's only two. There's only place it was bumped anybody out was Daytona last year. It was either 40, 39, a couple 38s, but there was no 40 car fields where somebody got bumped other than the Daytona 500. So if you pull, if you, me and Lee in Virginia found a car and pulled up, there's some races we could race because there's only 39 in there. And that's what's scary about it. Yeah, and we'd have to pass inspection, which it's going to be interesting to see how that. they got a new uh, inspection system this year called the Hawkeye. Uh, that's going to be – the laser inspection is gone. It's a Hawkeye system now. Um, it's going to be very interesting to see how that plays out, how these teams are going to go about it. Uh, the teams – and I'll give NASCAR this. Obviously, they they, um, they give these teams plenty of heads up. These teams know about it. They're, they're working with it. Um, but it's going to be interesting to see, you know, with the first few – four or five races here, uh, how this Hawkeye system changes the games as far as inspection is concerned. So just keep that in mind as we get forward and, and get closer and closer to the 2018 season. Uh, silly season news, John. Um, a couple of things were announced today. A lot of truck series news announced this week, but the first thing that was announced today were the Gillilands. Um, Todd Gilliland and David Gilliland had some news today. Uh, Todd Gilliland the 17-year-old son of, of David Gilliland, who was the 2007 pole sitter of the Daytona 500, had a nice cup career. Um, his son will run full-time 
after May 15th. And Kyle Busch's number four truck, uh, Todd does not turn 18 until May 15th. He can't run on the big tracks until he's 18 years old. So that leaves a spot open in Daytona where his dad, David Gilliland, will drive the number four truck, Daytona International Speedway. Uh, David has run a truck here and there for a team called RABR Enterprises, which is Ricky Benton Racing Enterprises. That team now moves to the Cup Series. Well, not moves to the Cup Series, but they will run in the Daytona 500 and, and, and their truck team as well will run, but they haven't announced a driver for that. But the driver was announced for the Daytona 500 entry, and it's David Goland. So to put them all down, David Goland is going to run the truck, number four truck at Daytona, and the number 92 Ford at Daytona in the cup race, attempting to make his eighth Daytona 500. Uh, what are your thoughts about the Gilliland? Listen, Todd Gilliland, a, a good young driver, won both the K&N East and West Championships last year. Um, a, a, the next big thing from Toyota, here he is driving Kyle Busch in a four-truck. And don't be surprised if David Gilliland doesn't win the Daytona truck race. David Gilliland is as good a drafter as you can find. Um, the last few years Tony Stewart ran, who did he draft with? He didn't draft with Harvick. He didn't draft with Junior because no one would let him get near Junior. He drafted with David Gilliland. And David Gilliland knows how to get around the super speedways. Um, I think it's a great move for the Gilliland family. I mean, if you're going to be a young buck coming up into the sport, you latch yourself into a Kyle Busch Motorsports truck, you're in really good shape. And you think about it, that number four is the owner's championship points. So that number four is in every race guaranteed. The number four has the best parking spot in the truck series garage. So Todd and David Gilliland and Kyle Busch is going to run it a couple times. But um, I think it's got a good shot at uh, being a solid year for him. They've also said uh, Harrison Burton's going to run more races for Kyle Busch Motorsports this year than he did last year. I mean, he's still not close to 18. I think he's only 16 right now. So Toyota is investing big time in their young drivers, and Kyle Busch Motorsports has turned into the farm system. If you remember, that's what Dale Jr.'s race team was supposed to be. It was supposed to be the farm system for the NAS. Give the young drivers a chance. You saw the Brad Keselowski's come out of it. William Byron wound up going in. Chase Elliott going in. But the last, last year, it was all four people who came with money except for Byron. And now he's in the truck series or he's in the cup series. I think it's um, a good move for the Gilliland family. I think they're going to have a successful year because they're driving as good of equipment as you can get your hands on. Yeah. And the interesting deal as well is the cup deal. Ricky Benton racing bought a car, a, a cup chassis from Richard Petty Motorsports. Obviously Richard Petty Motorsports have announced they will move from Ford to Chevrolet next year. So they had a lot of Ford chassis to give up. Rick Ware Racing got one we saw last year at the end of last year that they were they bought one. They're converting that into their own race car. Mark Thompson's gonna run it in the Daytona five hundred. Attempt to make the Daytona five hundred and that's sixty six car. That's been announced. It's gonna be Mark Thompson's last race ever. Uh I believe he's sixty seven years old. He's gonna try and make the Daytona five hundred. Uh, and now you have the RAB Racing Team, excuse me, not the RAB Racing Team, Ricky, Ricky Benton Racing, which is two different 
things. There's Ricky and Robbie Benton. Robbie Benton was just announced for the Team Penske. Ricky Benton is his own separate per, own separate team, own separate person. They will um, attempt the Daytona 500. Like I said, a chassis purchased from Richard Petty Motorsports. They're going to have Roush Yates. Engines underneath that 92 car. And like John said, David Gilland, who is a good drafter, he's got to race his way in. Right now, as we see, we put on our Facebook page, and uh, I, I think I was off on the Facebook page a little bit. There's at least 40 entries uh, going to the Daytona 500. I put that yesterday on our Facebook page. Um, there might be 43. Uh, you know, as far as other silly season news in the Cup Series is concerned, um, an interesting thing to look out for tomorrow, and I told John this before the show, Danica Patrick's going to be on Fox Business News, uh, and as will GoDaddy. So that is that a coincidence? We'll see. Um, but, you know, Danica, there's rumors she's getting close to announcing what's going to happen with Daytona in Indianapolis. I thought it was going to be that she didn't have a ride. Maybe she signs a deal with Richard Childress Racing because we still don't know who's going in that 27 car, whether Danica's just going to run that car for Daytona and they're going to put somebody else in that car the rest of the way. Um, it's going to be very interesting to see. We might see Hemrick in that car part-time. Derek Cope obviously can run a little bit. Um, so that's something to keep an eye on here in the coming days. Uh, but it's going to be an interesting speed weeks because I, I always love those duels. My, you know, I always like seeing the, the David versus Goliath, you know, uh, team and driver trying to get into the Daytona 500. And, you know, I remember when John and Dre did it with Front Row Motorsports a bunch of years ago. That was awesome to see. I always liked that, and I think we're going to have the opportunity to see that again here this year if Gilland and other teams can get in for uh, the Daytona 500. Um, but what are your thoughts, John, quick, on uh, David Gilland's chances to make the 500? I think David Gilland, if he matches up with the right guys, if he gets the right um, – hits the right duel, um, it depends on who he's racing against, too, who the other ones are. Because um, I could see David Gilland hooking up with David Reagan – because I mean they did it before. Um, I could see him. Hook, I could see a Ford team hooking up with him. Somebody who's locked in. It, I mean they're good. David Gilland is one of the good guys in the garage. David Gilland. And I mean, heck, you look at it. Who knows? Kyle Busch may be pushing him toward the front. If Kyle's already got the pole or something, and he ends up drifting back, and gets out of the way, he could end up pushing him on the last charge. I think David Gilland's got a. Decent chance. I mean, he's going to have the horsepower with Roush Yates engines. Just got to make sure that the body and the aerodynamics are right. And once you get in the draft, it's anybody's guess. And that's what it makes Daytona so interesting. Uh, it doesn't make a lot of people happy about that. That That's the truth. Um, but that's what makes it so interesting. 917-889-8280. here talking in circles. Clayton Caldwell and John Harlow here with you tonight if you want to join the show. A uh, couple of other silly season news here, John. Um, Cody Coughlin was announced in the Truck Series. He will be joining GMS Racing next year. Kind of a surprise. You know, he was with Thor Sport, uh, and he moves to GMS. GMS is going to have upwards of what's close to five race cars. Justin Haley is going to be back there, Johnny Sauter, a few others as well. Um, so we're going to see what that team has there. Uh, also, I mentioned Thor Sport earlier. They're going to... They had some silly season news. They're leaving Toyota. Uh, Toyota and them will no longer continue their partnership 
uh, in the 2018 season. They didn't announce what manufacturer they will indeed run with for 2018, but that's interesting. They've had a long relationship. They were Chevrolet's a bunch of years ago, six years with Toyota. Now they're they're uh, changing manufacturers again, it looks like. Um, but the thing I find interesting with that is, John, do you think it has anything to do with the Elmore engines? You know, we, we, we talked to um, uh, Justin Fontaine and uh, Austin Wayne Self a couple of weeks ago on Talking in Circles. They told us they're going to use the Elmores, whatever, Elmore engine, which is basically a crate engine that the Arca series uses. They're going to use that in the truck series next season. Um, and, you know, with if Toyota provided their engines there to uh, Thor Sport Racing, so... Now you look at it and you say, well, maybe Toyota says there's really no point in being in it if we're not going to have – because Storesport hires and, and, and fires their own drivers. They don't really have a, a development deal um, like Kyle Busch Motorsports does. You don't really see you know young drivers going through Toyota on development deals. You have Ben Rhodes there and Matt Crafton, of course, and Glenn Enfinger. sounds like they're going to be – that's going to be their driver lineup uh, for 2018, and they're not young kids who Toyota can fund. So maybe Toyota looked at it and said, well, what's the point of funding ThorSport if they're not going to help us out? And ThorSport was left to kind of see what other options there were because they're no longer using Toyota engines because of the Elmore engine. Obviously, I'm speculating there, but what are your thoughts on that? I think they could go forward. I bet you there's a ton of inventory sitting over at Brad Keselowski Racing that could use on the track in the truck series. Because we haven't heard about anybody talking Ford in the truck series. And Keselowski has two fully stocked inventories of playoff qualifying trucks. So if I'm Thor Sport and if I'm backing away from Toyota, and here we are 32 days away from the Daytona 500, which means we're 29 days away from the truck race. That's a lot of inventory to turn over in 29 days. Maybe they run Toyotas with the Ilmore engine and just run the Toyota body, but don't put the word Toyota on it. Because I don't know how the hell they're going to change that much inventory in that short a time and be competitive at the beginning of the season. I mean, hell, you saw what it took for Stuart Haas to change from Chevrolet to Ford because the engines sit in there in different spots. Everything hooks up differently. It changes the way you build your chassis. It does. It's not like you build a generic chassis and say, okay, let's just drop any engine in. The chassis have to be constructed different for each engine. And I don't see where we can easily, 29 days away from showtime, be able to change the complete inventory of a three-car team. Oh, I agree. I think um, I would hope that that this announcement, even though it came a couple of days ago, that they knew and were well aware of this uh, weeks or months prior to what we were, and they had a pretty good idea of what they're doing. It it doesn't sound like Thor Sports in any financial trouble. Um, I know that obviously with that fire a couple of years ago, it set them back a little bit, but they had a really good year last year still. Um, You know, Crafton was there in the final four and did a good job. Maybe they they felt like they stretched themselves too thin because they're only going to do a three car oper- three truck operation next season, uh, or maybe they just didn't have the funding to do it because Cody Coughlin brings Jeg's sponsorship with him to go over to 
uh, GMS Racing. So all that, I don't think they're in financial trouble. I just thought it was interesting because you have this sort of Elmore engine that hasn't really officially been announced by NASCAR yet, and these teams haven't announced whether or not they're running the Elmore engine or not. Um, and it's just something to keep an eye on here. Like you said, we're, we're less than a month away now from the Truck Series race at Daytona International Speedway. It's going to be interesting to see, um, you know, a lot of this stuff come out. I mean, right now in the Truck Series, there's not a whole lot of teams that uh, run in full-time. You know, GMS has got a bunch of teams. Uh, Thor Sports got three, you know, um, and there's just not a lot of, of really um, – big-time teams out there right now in the truck series. Um, so that's going to be something to keep an eye on as well. Same thing with the Xfinity series. You know, there's a lot of uh, turnover in the Xfinity series as well. Richard Childress Racing went, is going down from five cars to three. That means only having two cars run for the championship with Daniel Hemrick and Matt Tift. Um, so there's not a whole lot of competition as far as running for the Xfinity series championship. Um, so, there's still a lot to come out here, um, and that's why I kind of wanted to bring that up. It's just interesting to see if that's what caused Thor Sport to do it, and will we see more teams do that? Will it affect the truck series? Because, um, you know, like I said, Toyota, they're pretty good in Wisconsin Motorsports because they have the development deal. They want to develop young drivers there. That's one of Toyota's main goals. But if they're not developing drivers, why support a team? Uh, you know, will Chevy see that? We see Ford has kind of, you know, they don't have a team as of yet. You think Thor Sports going there? I've heard a rumor that maybe Thor Sports looking to go there as well with Ford, um, but that's not officially announced. So maybe we're starting to see the manufacturers pull out of the truck series here a little bit. I think the truck series on life support. Uh, we talked before with the amount of money that comes out of the TV deal, how much of it goes to the Cup Series, how much of it goes to the Xfinity Series, and the crumbs that are left go to the truck series. And if you're the 36th place truck, the money you make for finishing 36 barely pays your tire bill. You might get a little bit of engine support out of what you get there, but you're, you're losing money. Brad Keselowski ran a good team. They were in the playoffs. They were making money at the track, but losing money. It was a losing deal for Brad Keselowski. Kyle Busch only survives because Kyle Busch can drive that truck five races a year. And for those five races, he is in those trucks. And then he gets the other sponsorship he can, and he gets Toyota put in a big chunk of money to keep Kyle Busch Motorsports running. If it wouldn't be for that, I mean, you look, Kyle Busch Motorsports, GMS Racing, Thor Sport, it used to be BKR, but those three teams are the teams that are left that are any good. Everybody yep. else is like your Mike Harmons, your Jennifer Joe Cobbs, who have a truck, they want to do it, they can't they can barely afford to get there, but they're gonna try. And that's what's left in the sport other than those three teams in the truck series. And I think and the truck series is on life support, and it's as good as – it's one of the better – I'd rather watch a truck race than a cup race half the time. I'm interested to see what the Elmore engine does because, like we said, we, like I said earlier, we talked to Austin Wayne Self and Justin Fontaine uh, from Nice Motorsports. They're going to use that engine this year. How competitive 
is that engine going to be? That's going to be key. If it's pretty competitive and, and, and can run uh, with these big-time engine companies, at the, at the really we're going to see it. You know, I'm not sure we're going to see Daytona with the draft. We're going to see it at Atlanta. We'll see it at the mile-and-a-half tracks is where it's really going to show up. Um, if that engine's as competitive and gives these guys a shot to run really good for a extremely discounted price, that's really going to help these smaller teams out, like Denise Motorsports, who's, you know, hasn't doesn't have the resume yet. Pete with the accomplished motorsports of the world, but if they have an, a good engine behind them this year, who knows what can happen with that team? So um, it's going to be interesting to see, no doubt about it. I think uh, that makes this truck series interesting as far as that's concerned, because um, if that engine's competitive, there's going to be a lot more competitive trucks out there just based on pure horsepower, because I know from some of the trucks, uh, you know, last year that were running in, towards the rear of the field, they didn't have engines anywhere close to the teams that were in the front of the field. So um, maybe that'll be a little bit of a, I guess you can say, equalizer, but it still remains to be seen. I mean, uh, you can say that you think it's going to be competitive until you get out on the racetrack. You won't know. Um, 917-889-8280. John, sad news this week as well. Um Nat, uh, racing legend Dan Gurney passed away at the age of 86 of complications from pneumonia. Um, you're a little bit uh, more of a veteran than I am as far as being a race fan is concerned. We'll put it that way. Um, I never got the privilege to see Dan Gurney race. Uh, I just watch his stats. I watch his highlights on YouTube. The man was fantastic in NASCAR, especially when it came to uh, Riverside. He just was outstanding there. I wrote an article saying he was the best road course racer in NASCAR history, and I stand by that. What are your memories, John, of Dan Gurney? Uh, you know, just how good of a racer was he? Well, Dan Gurney is one of those guys who always found speed. He could do almost anything in a car. I mean, he's right there. There's only two other people besides him, Mario Andretti and Juan Pablo Montoya who have won races in Formula One, IndyCar, NASCAR, Can-Am, and Trans-Am. Nobody else other than Mario and Juan Pablo Montoya did it. And the other thing Dan Gurney is famous for is he is the guy who decided to spray champagne when him and A.J. Foyt won the 24-hour Le Mans. He just decided, okay, I'm going to spray some champagne on the podium, and guess what? That became tradition. There was nothing this guy couldn't do. He could run anything from being an owner, um, driver. Every time you think about it, if I remember right, Dan Gurney's the guy who came up with the rear engine car at Indy. I mean, there's nothing. That guy, you're going to look at American racing legends throughout history. If you would put the Mount Rushmore up there, He's on it. Dan Gurney, A.J. Foyt, probably Patty, and probably John Force. Because Gurney could have done anything. A.J. Foyt did just about anything. Richard Petty has 200 wins in NASCAR, which will never be touched. So he's still going to be the king, even though I think his 200 wins are a lot different than what Johnson's going to end up doing by the time he retires and John Forrest with how much he's done in drag racing. That's probably your um, 
Mount Rushmore of racing. Maybe a Steve Kinzer in there if you're going to put a fifth one on. But Dan Gurney is American racing. Yeah, and like I said, I never got got the privilege to watch this man race, unfortunately. It would have been excellent to see. Um, You know, and... It's, but when a legend passes like that, you know, you keep, you read all the stories, you hear all the stories, and, you know, you, you do some research on it, and you go, wow, unbelievable, just what the man accomplished in his career. And just a sad day on, on uh, January 14th, the other day, when Dan Gurney passed. And, um, you know, I, like a, I encourage fans, I'm sure that there's a lot of fans out there who uh, have stories of Dan Gurney, and if you're listening and, and you're too shy to call in or, or – you're not listening to us live, put it on our Facebook or Twitter page about a Dan Gurney story um, if you have one. I mean, uh, we'd love to hear it. We'd love to share it. Um, something that, uh, you know, helps educate the young race fan like me who didn't get the privilege to see Dan Gurney race because we were born in, in the wrong era. So, um, you know, and, and I always admire those guys who flip back and forth because we hear all the time, John, we see all the time, you know, Danica Patrick gets this excuse a lot, and I've never driven a race car, so I can't say whether or not it's a legit excuse or not, um, but how hard it is to go from one form of racing to another. Uh, you know, Montoya tried to do it. He didn't have a ton of success in NASCAR. Tony Stewart did it and, and was successful. Tim Richmond came over from IndyCar to NASCAR and was very good. It took him a while, uh, but that 86 season was fantastic. Um, so it I'm sure running different disciplines out there is an extremely hard thing to do and to win in multiple disciplines is an extremely hard thing to do. And for him to go out there and do it successfully, uh, that had to, that's, that's really remarkable. There's two big things that Dan Gurney outside of him driving a race car is really responsible for. Dan Gurney got Goodyear into racing. Firestone used to be everything. And Dan Gurney went to Goodyear and said, let's get together and find a way to beat Firestone. So Dan Gurney got Goodyear into IndyCar. And the other thing is, when Dan Gurney was an owner in IndyCar, he's the one who wrote the white paper that Roger Penske, Pat Patrick, Bob Fletcher signed off on, and they created CART when they broke away from USAC. Dan Gurney wanted a series that was controlled by owners and actual participants than somebody sitting in a tower saying, well, we made the series, we're going to do what we want, and you're going to adhere to it. So they decided to create the championship auto racing teams, and they ran their first race in March of 1979. So Dan Gurney, as a driver, as an owner, his All-American racing team won 78 races to include the Indy 500, 12 hours of Sebring, the 24 hours of Daytona. They won eight championships in IMSA and the sports car legends. I mean, he got three five Indy 500s, three championships. Dan Gurney's an American legend when it comes to motorsports. And we're certainly going to miss him. And, and thoughts and prayers uh, go out from us to his family and friends. Um, on the passing of Dan Gurney. Not to change the subject here, but, um, you know, something, a little bit of news, and, and, I, and this is something that, again, it's, it's pretty much speculation, but something that caught my eye that was very interesting. Um, and I just want to get John's take on it before we go here today. Uh, 
former Roush Fenway Racing engineer, and uh, forgive me for pronouncing this name incorrectly, Nick Olila has joined factory-backed Nissan Supercar Squad in Australia. Now, we heard Brett Dewar a couple of weeks ago say that NASCAR has had some conversations with a couple of manufacturers about coming into NASCAR here in the next couple of years. Uh, a Roush Fenway engineer going to Nissan. you think there might be anything to that, John? That's one of the first things I thought of when I read it today. Maybe Nissan is one of the ones who are thinking about coming. Nissan and Toyota have had a battle since um, both companies were created. I mean, they're Japanese countries, they're head-to-head competitors, and they see what Toyota is doing in NASCAR. And Nissan has just as much money, just as much engineers. They build just as many cars in the United States as Toyota does. It might be something they're thinking about. And it might be the ruse that he's over in Australia working on the supercars whenever Nissan may be coming up with a way to be the next manufacturer coming into NASCAR. But again, it's one of those things. I don't see Dodge putting an engine program together. If they come back, they're going to look for somebody who's got an engine shop. Toyota came in building their own engines. They actually had Joe Gibbs and Mark Cronquist build engines on their own for a couple years and then brought everybody back under the TRD banner. So I could see Nissan saying, okay, if we're coming in, we're coming in balls to the wall. We're going to build our own engines. We're going to build our own chassis. We're going to put teams together. They're not going to screw it up coming in like Toyota did by banking on, I mean, God bless Bill Davis, but they banked on Bill Davis, Michael Waltrip, and Red Bull. Those were three teams that Bill Davis was a mid-packer. Michael Waltrip never existed, and neither did Red Bull. And Toyota had no juice in the sport until they talked Joe Gibbs into leaving Chevrolet and backing up the Brinks truck to uh, Huntersville, North Carolina. Oh, yeah. And, you know, how Dodge and Toyota got in, because they're the two most recent manufacturers that have come into NASCAR, how they came in was through the truck series. If Nissan wants to come in, and they come in through the truck series, they got the crate engine to do it. So they come, you know, if this crate engine is something that you look at and you say, hey, um, it's competitive, Nissan might say, yeah, let's get into the truck series, run with that, build our inventory, learn as much as we can about that engine. And then if we have, if that doesn't go to the Cup Series or the Xfinity Series, you know, we'll build from there. We'll get into NASCAR via the Elmore engine, and then... Uh, we'll take the steps mandatory and the next steps to become a big time manufacturer in NASCAR. It's going to be interesting to see, you know, that's something that caught my eye today. Um, and whether or not Nissan uh, has the opportunity to come to NASCAR here in the next couple of years. Uh, final thoughts on the night, John. Um, I think the charters are a mess. I think racing lost a legend in Dan Gurney. Um, I a commercial after Danica's little whatever she's doing on Fox Business Network tomorrow. And I think the Nissan idea is possible. I, I agree with a lot of that. And I'll tell you, something to keep an eye on for the silly season, as I mentioned, Starcom Racing is going to have an announcement, uh, as was Danica Patrick with that as well. 
Um, from the Motorsports still to announce their sponsorships or crew chiefs alignments, and as a lot of teams, premium motorsports have announced their drivers for Daytona. We'll see you next week here on Talking Circles. Good night, everybody. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.